If you got your Bibles on, you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and let's talk about some stuff that matters. Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read the first four verses together. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray together. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. God, I pray um, that I would say what you want me to say today to uh, your beautiful church, to your bride. Uh, Nothing more, nothing less. God, give us as your church eyes to see and ears to hear, and minds that are set on you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. I have never been drunk or high a day in my life. Now, I know that's an odd way to start a sermon, and uh, I'm not trying to say that to brag or to be judgmental or to be pharisaical. I just kind of feel like if I don't lead with that, if I don't say that at the outset of this thing, then when I tell you some of the things that I'm about to tell you, uh, you all would accuse me of having been impaired. So there have been times in my life when uh, boxes have showed up on the porch from Amazon with items that I don't necessarily remember ordering. There have been times when I go get in the car, uh, drive to the grocery store, go in the store and shop, and then come out and have no idea where I've parked. Like I'm talking about to the point where I'm standing there trying to remember which door I went in so I can cut the search in half, just down to half the parking lot. And I pull out the keyless entry thing and start hitting the lock button, trying to make the horn honk and just kind of fading in the direction of where I hear that horn. There have been times when I've been watching a TV show or watching a movie or something like that, and I get to the bottom of a bag of potato chips before I even remember opening Open them. Can anybody relate to these things? I mean, does this kind of stuff happen to anybody else? Like, if not, I'm really afraid that right now, like, Dr. Greg and Dr. Abby are diagnosing me. Like, they're texting me, right? And they're like, hey, we need to see you. Tomorrow's Memorial Day, but Tuesday, we need to see you at our office. You know, the human brain is an odd thing. And scientists scientists tell us that our brains work primarily on two different levels. And they often refer to these two functions of the brain as the slow brain and the fast brain. Now, the slow brain is the part of our brain that is focused and intentional. Uh, The slow brain is the part of our brain that exhibits willpower and self-control. The slow brain knows how to stay focused, how to stay on task. Now, our fast brain is a horse of a different color. Uh, fast brain a lot of times just kind of does what the fast brain wants to do. The fast brain is the part of our brain that's constantly processing all the stimuli that our slow brain has missed. The fast brain is always 
on and the fast brain runs primarily on autopilot. The fast brain is the reason that we can sometimes do some things and not remember doing them. Now, for me, a helpful way to think about this uh, is to think about a helpful you know, distinction when it comes to the slow brain and the fast brain is to think about it like a computer. You know how when you're working on, on a computer, there's the screen that you're on, and then there's also all the programs that are running in the background. So like I know a lot of people right now are watching maybe on Facebook or on YouTube or on the church's website. That would be Facebook or YouTube, Google, whatever screen you're looking at. Like that's the screen that you're on. That would be representative of the slow brain. The processes, the programs that are all running in the background, uh, at least according to this analogy, that would represent the fast brain. Now, businesses and marketers have become master manipulators of our fast brain. I mean, if you really think about it, some of the purchases that we make are well thought out and researched. These would be slow brain purchases. But a lot of the things that we buy, we buy impulsively. I mean, Amazon thrives on the one-click purchase. Like, you hit one button, and then two days later, the thing you were looking at shows up on your porch. It's crazy. Or you can think about, uh, think about how many times you have went into Target to get the one thing, and you come out with the ten things. Or maybe you're scrolling on Facebook, or you're scrolling on Instagram, and you get one of those targeted ads that is specific to you, and before you know it, you've clicked the thing and you've made the purchase. Listen, if you have ever bought anything off of a targeted ad from one of these social media sites, that is always a fast brain purchase. And the ability to manipulate our fast brains has made a lot of people a lot of money. Now, maybe you're thinking, all right, Brock, I don't, I don't struggle with impulse buys. Like, that's not something that, that's not an area that, that I struggle with. Well, let me speak to some other ways that maybe the, the fast brain is getting you in trouble. The fast brain often leads us to make bad decisions with people of the opposite sex. It's the fast brain that often has us going, I don't know why I did the thing, that, that thing. I was, just, I was with him or her, and it just happened. The fast brain leads us to make bad decisions with food. I mean, there's a reason that you go into a grocery store and the candy section is almost always next to the register because the purchase of a Snickers bar is hardly ever a well-thought-out and researched purchase. Like, it's a fast brain of center up there. Oh, Snickers, uh, Snickers is pretty good, and then you immediately pick the thing up. And then there's just addiction in general. I mean, people who are addicted to alcohol, people who are addicted to, to cigarettes or to pills, they get to the point where they just do these things habitually. Like they get home and they pour the glass of wine, they get home and they light the cigarette, they get home and they take the pills, and they don't really think about it. Those are fast brain movements. The porn industry, fast food industry, pharmaceutical industry, all thrive on the manipulation of our fast brains. Now, maybe you're saying, all right, Brock, what, what's this got to do with the Apostle Paul? Like, why are you telling us this stuff? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
okay? The first reason that I want to share this stuff with you, reason number one is just because I want you to be aware that it's happening. Like, I want you to know that big business is lobbying for your brain. The very concepts of consumerism, capitalism, commercialism are all predicated on convincing you that you can't live without a bunch of stuff that I promise you, you can live without. There is a direct connection between the success of the U.S. economy and its ability to manipulate the minds of its citizens. Now, the second reason I want to share this with you is because if you are a believer, your mind should not be for sale. If we are believers, our minds should not be for sale to the highest bidder. We shouldn't be so easily manipulated by our carnal desires. If you're watching at home right now, I want you to say that with me. I want you to say, my mind is not for sale. You ready? One, two, three. Say it. My mind is not for sale. If you're watching right now and there's somebody else in the room, I want you to look at them right now and I want you to say it to them. I want you to say, my mind is not for sale. Whatever device it is that you're, you're watching us on, if you're looking at a phone, if you're watching on a TV or on a computer, I want you to look at the device and I want you to say to the device, my mind is not for sale. Church, our minds should not be for sale. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. He says that once we become believers, we take on the mind of Christ. Now, maybe it's just me, but I would think that a person who had the mind of Christ would be really difficult to manipulate. Nobody manipulated Jesus. They mocked him. They spit on him. They bartered his clothes. Ultimately, they murdered him, but nobody manipulated him. In Colossians chapter 3, the first two verses, Paul says, because you have been buried and raised to life with Jesus, because you were lost, but now you have been found. Because you were dead in your sin, but now you are alive in Christ. He said, I want you to seek the things that are above, and I want you to set your mind on the things that are above. Paul speaks here to seeking and to setting. Church, seeking is about the eyes. Setting is about the mind. Seeking is about the screen that is directly in front of us. Setting is about the processes that are happening in the background. Seeking is about our slow brains. Setting is about our fast brains. You know, how cool is it that Paul, by way of the Holy Spirit, was speaking here about the makeup of the human brain even before science was speaking to the makeup of the human brain. He's saying here that to seek and to set means to give, to devote both your slow brain and your fast brain totally to God, to give him complete control of both of those things, to surrender it to his authority. Now, I would argue that uh, at least a majority of Christian discipleship has been oriented towards appealing to the slow brain. 
most of what we encourage people to do, like most of what pastors encourage people to do, has to do with seeking. You know, we encourage people to read their Bibles. We encourage people to do devotions. We encourage people to have specific prayer times. When we do these things, we are asking them to seek. These are focused activities. These are slow brain activities. But at some point, if we are ever going to fully mature, we need to move from seeking to setting. At some point, we need to move from reading the Bible to having God's Word written on our hearts. At some point, we need to move from doing devotions in the morning to being fully devoted all day long. At some point, we need to move from having specific prayer times to praying without ceasing. If we ever want our faith to be holistic, we have to surrender our whole brains to Christ, our whole minds. This includes the slow brain and the fast brain. I mean, how awesome would it be if even when our brains were on autopilot, if they made holy decisions? I mean, how cool would it be if like, you go to Target and you're walking in to buy the bathing suit and you walk out and you got a bag of food for the food pantry? You're like, I don't even remember buying the food, the food for the food pantry. Or you're scrolling on Instagram, or you're scrolling on Facebook, and the next thing you know, you've sent your tithe electronically to the church. Hashtag PayPal. Hashtag WhitestoneChurch.org. Hashtag His Name on My Membrane. His Name on My Membrane. His Name on My Brain. I should probably change shirts. So, what does Paul mean when he tells us to set our minds on the things that are above? Like, what are the above things, and how might focusing on them help rewire our fast brains? This is what I think Paul is saying here, and I don't want you to miss this, church, because I think it's vitally important. I think Paul is trying to tell us that captivation is our greatest weapon against manipulation. I'm going to say that again because that's tweetable. Listen to me. Captivation is our greatest weapon against manipulation. A mind that is captivated by God cannot be manipulated by this world. A mind that is set on heaven cannot be led astray by the things of this earth. Somehow, some way, captivation prevents manipulation and church we should find ourselves at all times so captivated by God captivated by his character captivated by his gifts Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12 verse 3 and I'm reading this from the message translation he says I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. And this is what I want you to hear right here, church, the tail end of this text. It says, the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is, and by what he does for us. 
not by what we are and what we do for him. Paul says here, the only way for us to really understand ourselves, like the only way for us to have a proper mindset is for our lives, our minds to be focused on all that God is and all that God does. So ultimately, we talk about trying to reprogram our brains, trying to rewire our fast brains. I think it begins with us being captivated by God's character and captivated by God's gifts. So let's speak first about what it means to be captivated by God's character. Church, I think we should spend our days reflecting on God's attributes. I think we should spend our days reflecting on God's attributes, thinking about who he is, his holiness, his goodness, his grace. I would actually like to encourage you to try that this week. Like every day this week, first thing that you do when you wake up is I just want you to pick one godly attribute and I want you to write that thing down and I want you to try to spend, take it, you know, write it down, put it on a post-it note, stick it on the mirror in your bathroom or on the fridge, like whatever it is that you walk by the most, put it somewhere that you'll, you'll see it. And then I want you to spend the whole day trying to meditate on that characteristic. And this is why I think that is important. When we keep our minds focused on the truth, it doesn't leave any room for lies. When we keep our minds focused on the truth, it doesn't leave any room for lies. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Most of y'all know my wife. Um, name's Bethany. Bethany and I have been married for 18 years, and I love her now more than I loved her 18 years ago. But, you know, if, if someone were to send me a text or an email and tell me that Bethany was cheating on me, and they told me that they had proof, even if it wasn't true, it would have a negative effect on our relationship. It would cause me to be suspicious. I would be kind of like every time her phone dings, I'd be thinking, oh, is that the other guy? When she left the house, I'd be trying to like check my iPhone stuff, be like, oh, she stayed at Walmart a little bit longer than she should have been. Maybe she's meeting with that guy. What I need you to understand, church, here is that something doesn't have to be true for it to be harmful. I mean, this is the same reason why you can have a dream about something that your spouse did or something that a friend of yours did, and then the whole day still be mad at him. I mean, you just, the thing didn't have to happen. Just your thinking it is enough to do damage to your relationship. The same thing is true when we talk about our relationship with God. Subtle lies about the character of God can do ultimate damage to our relationship with him. Like if if Satan can just get in your head and if he can just produce these little subtle things, like if he can convince you the same way he did Adam and Eve that, you know, maybe God's not who he says he is. Maybe he's not as good as you think he is. Maybe he's uh, ashamed of you. Maybe he's angry with you. Maybe he doesn't have time for you. Church, those things don't have to be true to be harmful. Like just the thought of them about God, having that, that little subtle misconstrued thought about God and his character, it can do damage to our relationship with him. Lies make us vulnerable. Lies make us easily manipulatable. Lies are the devil's native tongue. The author Timothy Jennings says this in his book, The God-Shaped Brain. He says, does it even matter whether our view of God is good, bad, or ugly? It does matter more than we ever realize. 
to the point of changing our brain structure. Although we have power over what we believe, what we believe holds real power over us. Power to heal and power to destroy. So church, I'm asking you to spend your time reflecting on the character of God to meditate on his attributes because I want your mind to be so filled with truth that there's no room for the lies. You remember Jesus said himself, John chapter 8, verse 32, then you'll know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. The truth has power to free us from ourselves, to free us from our doubts, and to free us from our so easily manipulated brains. We should be captivated by God's character. Captivated by God. Captivated by his attributes. We should be captivated by God's gifts. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances. Church, I got to tell you, pandemic or not, God has been good to me. He's been good to me. He showered on me many gifts, none of which I deserve. He saved me. My life hasn't been perfect. There have been some struggles, but every time in my life, that I, that the times that I felt the most alone, he came the closest. He's given me a wife I adore. He's given me kids that make me laugh. A church that is constantly showing me what extravagant generosity looks like, what love and action looks like. And those are just the big things. I mean, some of the little things, like right now, I'm so enjoying just going out on my back porch and drinking coffee with my wife and watching the birds. I'm enjoying playing bocce with my older kids. I'm enjoying playing crazy eights with the little ones. Just last week, I tried Bluebell's red velvet ice cream for the first time, and I'm pretty sure that stuff comes directly from heaven. And I know that these days of pandemic have been harder on some people than they have on other people. And I know that if you're, you know, looking at the news or constantly looking at social media sites, there is so much noise and so much paranoia and so, no, so much negativity. But church, what I'm asking you today to do is don't let that stuff blind you to all the gifts that God has bestowed upon you. One of the things I felt really strongly about when I walked in this place this morning is I knew I really felt like I was supposed to say this to somebody who's watching at home. So I want you to listen to me right now. I, I strongly believe with the spirit that is in me that God has wanted me to tell somebody that today is the day that you're supposed to look up again. Today is the day that you're supposed to look up again. You're going to have to stop looking down at your phone. Stop looking down at the news. Stop looking down at your despair and look up at the God who is so gracious to you in every single day. He is showering us with a myriad of gifts. And if we don't look up, we miss them. This is why I think Paul says, set, set your eyes on the things that are above and set your minds on the things that are above. You look down, you're going to see dirt. You look up, you'll see grace. You look down, you're going to see despair. You look up, you'll see victory. 
You look down, and you're going to be crushed. You look up, and you're going to be captivated. And captivation is our greatest weapon against manipulation. So when you wake up in the morning, the first thing I want you to do is to think about one of God's attributes, to write that down and spend the whole day reflecting on it. And then when you go to bed at night, I'm just asking you to do this for the next week. When you go to bed at night, I'm asking you to take some time right in the evening, right before bed, and I want you to write down all the things that you're grateful for. Because what a person who is grateful quickly realizes is that at first, when you start thinking about things to be grateful, you think about the big things. And then over time, you start to see them in the smaller things and even the smaller things. And I really think that it's time for the church to open our eyes back up to God. He's on the move. He's being good. He's being kind. But we've got our eyes to the floor, and so we're missing it. God, I'm asking you right now, everybody who's in this room, everybody who's watching online, captivate us. Captivate us again. Captivate us with your presence. Captivate us with your character. Captivate us with your gifts. God, we know that once we're captivated, we cannot be manipulated. And we want to surrender to you full control of our hearts, our souls, and our minds. Pray with me. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, I'm grateful for your word. I pray that what I requested would be happening right now. Captivate us. Remind us of the attributes of yours that we haven't thought about in a long time. Continue to, to reveal to us more of who you are. God, for the person who's been, who, who's been at home and who's afraid and who is so fearful about what the days ahead, I pray right now you, you would say, hey, he was talking to you. It's time for you to look up. Your eyes have been on the ground for far too long, and I pray that they would set their minds on the things that are above and that something about that setting would change them. It would rewire their brains. It would change them from the inside out. Lord, we love you. We want to give you full control of our slow brains and our fast brains. Move in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.